Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome to North Haven. Uh, my name is Adam Sidler. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being with us here today. Welcome to all the, any of the, those of you here that are new, or if you're joining us virtually, uh, welcome, and also welcome if you're new with us. Um, I would love to, uh, to meet with you, an opportunity to connect, to know how I can support and pray for you. Uh, pastor Don mentioned that. Uh, I'm going to be available out in the comments right after the service. So if you're new or if, you know, you, you've been here for a couple, two or three weeks and we haven't met yet, please, I, I, don't, I don't bite. I'm a, I think I'm a nice guy. I'd love a chance to be able to connect and, uh, like I said, know how I can pray. And if you're connecting virtually and um, you want to connect, please uh, either write in the comment section or click on the prayer button and just indicate that you'd like me to contact you, um, and, and I'll certainly do that uh, so that, again, we can uh, support one another in this journey of finding and following Jesus. To that effect, uh, we do something once a month, and we're doing it next Sunday. So if, if you have been relatively new here to North Haven, and you have yet to go to our pizza with staff, we do this every month, I want to invite you next Sunday to come to that. It's free. It's just for an hour. Uh, it's really low key. It's with me and a couple of other staff members. And uh, you find out more about North Haven, kind of like the inner workings. I uh, see how the sausage is made, I guess, a little bit. Um, and you can ask some questions. We talk to you about uh, our history and our mission and all that kind of stuff. And you get some pizza um, and, and, uh, and water. We give you water. So um, anyways, it's a great opportunity just to kind of know and understand uh, this church a little bit more. So if you're interested in that, join us next Sunday, the 23rd. It's immediately following the second service. And also, yes, Pastor John mentioned we're doing the bike blessing here today. Um, that's going to be running uh, from 12 to 3 or until people stop showing up. And uh, if you have a motorcycle, I invite you to come to that. Uh, it's going to all be outdoors. We're going to pray over each motorcyclist and uh, excited about that. We're doing it whether there's 10 or, or 300 people that show up. Um, we're just going to uh, pray for those that come. So if you're interested or if you know a motorcyclist, let them know. Um, I got my motorcycle here. It was parked out front, uh, so I'm excited to be able to extend this blessing to others as well. Um, I'm tired. You all tired? My goodness gracious. We went camping this last weekend, and um, we went to Willow River State Park. Anybody been there? It's beautiful, just, uh, just uh, over there in Hudson, right? Hudson, Wisconsin. And um, uh, if you haven't been there, um, there is a huge, there's a nice, beautiful waterfall, and then there's this huge staircase. Did you guys go up the staircase? This huge staircase that you go up to, you get this really amazing view of the valley and the river and the lake there. And um, it, anybody who has a 10-year-old child, you know that they are the engine that makes you do everything you don't want to do. Uh, they, my son wanted desperately to go up those stairs. So I remember we got about halfway and I was thinking, I was questioning everything about my life at that point. We got up to the very top and I was, I would have given anything to not feel the way that I did, but, uh, we survived, but I, I am exhausted. Um, but we made memories and we got pictures. I guess that's all that matters. So we are going to be diving further into our series, Villains. 
so we started this uh, two weeks ago, and we looked at the very first villain in the Bible, if you don't count the snake in the Garden of Eden, we looked at Cain. And then last week we took a pause because we didn't think that doing a series on villains and then Mother's Day was maybe going to be a good mix. And so uh, we, we took a pause and we were able to celebrate and honor not only moms but women. Um, every year we give my daughter a gift on Mother's Day, so my son is well aware of this and he's already giving us lists for Father's Day. So... But um, uh, today we're picking that series back up. We're looking at another quote-unquote villain. But as I mentioned, the first time that we got together that, that first week, a couple weeks ago, not only are we looking at those in the Bible who clearly were doing villainous things, but we're also going to, and this is the case today, looking at somebody who at first glance is seen as villainous or has a finger pointed at them and, and, and someone else is saying they are the bad person, they are the villain. But as it turns out, it, it ends up becoming the person that's doing the pointing that is acting villainous. So we're going to do that by looking at Luke chapter 7. And, and, and maybe a familiar passage to you, maybe it's a brand new one, but Luke chapter 7, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to that. You have Bibles in front of you, you can grab or you can go to your app on your phone. Um, certainly it'll be up on the screen as we go along as well. Um, but before we dive into this passage, and we're doing one of the quintessential things that I love to do, and hopefully you love it because I will keep doing it, and it that would stink if you didn't love it. So I love going through sections of the Bible and actually start parsing out, um, looking at it piece by piece, fleshing out Scripture, and then also seeing ourselves in God's Word. I think that's so critical to, um, to our life um, and our relationship with the Lord. But this instance um, in Luke chapter 7, um, for those of you that are familiar with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, you may think or recognize that this story that we're going to look at is similar to three other accounts in the Gospels. So we're looking at Luke 7. So if you factor in Matthew, Mark, and John, there are an instance in each of those three books that seems similar to this one. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to just kind of set this one apart. And in doing so, I want to reference um, the, the instance in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Now, specifically, we're looking at these stories as it relates to a woman who comes in and anoints Jesus, either his head or his feet, with oil or perfume. In Matthew 26 and Mark 14, those instances are undoubtedly the same occurrence. They both happen, if you were to look at those passages, in the house of Simon the leper, which is a horrible name. I mean, imagine if you had a big wart on your neck, and that's who you Andrew the wart. I mean, it would just, it'd be so sad that he is now synonymous with, with his leprosy. Uh, both cases happened in Bethany. That's, if you remember, um, we talked about this a while back when we talked about the Samaritan woman at the well. At this time, there were two sections of Israel. There was the northern um, area and the southern area, and they were separated by which region? Who said it? 
Samaria, thank you, Samaria. And, and so geographically, these are two separate areas that Jesus had to traverse along with his disciples. And, and Bethany was in the, the southern region of Judea. Uh, so Matthew 26 and Mark 14 are the same occurrence. Um, and, and then in John 12, we see another similar account of a woman coming in and anointing Jesus, this time his head as opposed to his feet. Um, but this instance actually signifies a specific person. There's a name given to this woman, and that is Mary. Now, Mary's a familiar name in the, in the New Testament, but this Mary specifically is the sister of Martha, if you remember that story with Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha are the sisters of which famous brother? Lazarus. Remember, if you know that story, Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave. So Mary and Martha, this Mary is the one who is specifically mentioned to be the one to do that. And it's quite possible and highly likely that all three of these accounts depict the same instance. The reason I want to just paint that picture is because I believe Luke chapter 7, specifically verses 36 through 50, is a different occurrence. It's a different occurrence. We'll get into that here in just a second. But before we go any further, we need to read the passage. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, so he's talking of Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him, Simon, so Jesus answers the Pharisee, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And he just just, uh, tastes the sarcasm in that. Tell me, teacher, he said. So Jesus says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, the Pharisee, he said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? 
Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So a few things we need to take note of right away that makes this account quite different from the rest. So the context of this passage reveals that this happened approximately two years before Jesus' crucifixion because the verses before and after this attest to John the Baptist being alive. That's significant because the context of the three passages that I referenced in Matthew, Mark, and John happened just a few days before Jesus' crucifixion. But here's the deal. We need to learn, lean into Jesus' teaching in this encounter. This is critical. Because not only can we learn from Jesus' words, the words from Jesus himself, but we can also learn from the actions of others. So let's set the stage. Jesus is having dinner with a Pharisee. This is a huge deal. The Pharisees are like the quintessential villain of the New Testament. They are the Darth Vader to Jesus' Luke Skywalker. But yet they're having dinner with one another. That's incredible. And I think that this, we have to admit, before we go any further, that this is this attests yet to a, yet another example of Jesus' willful and, and intentional breaking of barriers. There's nothing, there's nothing that will stop Jesus from connecting to others, no matter who they might be or what they have done. Jesus will seek others out. Not only is Jesus having dinner with a Pharisee, but then walks in this woman who is described in this passage as sinful. Now, we can only speculate. Literally, we can only speculate on two things. One, who this woman was. There's no name given. There's no context given. So we literally don't know who this woman is. And we can also only speculate as to what this woman has done that has classified her as sinful. But yet, that's how, that's how people saw her at the very least. That's certainly how the Pharisee in this story saw her. And that's also how others saw her who were present. Because not only was Jesus having dinner with this Pharisee, but he, there were other people present as well. This wasn't a private dinner between Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. This was a more public dinner. Other people were invited. Other people were present. And so imagine this. You have this woman. She had to have known. She had to have known that she was perceived certainly by Simon the Pharisee, but then by others in that room as sinful and less than. She had to have known that this was how she was perceived so whoever this woman was, can you imagine the courage that it must have taken her? Can you imagine the courage it must have taken her to approach Jesus at all? Yet there was no stopping her. You know what she didn't do? You know what's not in this account at, at all? She did not ask for permission. She didn't ask whether she could come in. She didn't ask whether she could approach Jesus. It would have been much 
easier for her to wait until the dinner was over and that she could have approached Jesus without fear of condemnation for those uh, in the room. But she didn't. She didn't wait until everything was over and Jesus was alone. No, she approached Jesus regardless of how people saw her with boldness. And so here's the first nugget of truth that we can learn from this passage. A genuine Christ follower, someone who has given their life to Jesus and has decided to follow him, to make him the leader of their life. If you're a genuine Christ follower, you approach Jesus with boldness. I'm going to segue here for a second because one of the things that we fail to recognize is that every single person alive, every single person who has lived, every single person who is living, every single person who will live, is created to worship God. Regardless of what you believe, regardless of whether you've given your life to Jesus Christ or not, You are created to worship the almighty creator of all things. That is intrinsic to your nature. But you know what sin does? Sin has come in and it inhibits that which is intrinsic and natural to us. And so we don't worship God freely and intrinsically and naturally because sin suppresses what is natural and intrinsic. And so we have to intentionally fight against that day after day. And we do that by approaching Jesus with boldness. So let's continue to lean into this encounter. Jesus was reclining at the table. That's, that's a, um, a, a, a fact that is helpful as we understand this woman and the access that she had to Jesus in this, in this story. Because Jesus was reclining, that was, that was pretty much cultural at the time, especially for festive dinners or important dinners like this. Uh, you would lean towards the table, so your head would be at the table, and your feet would be away from the table, and you'd lean on your left arm and eat with your right. Now, some of you, that's 10 o'clock at night in your bed. That's what you're, that's what you're doing. But this was Jesus, this was Jesus, when he was eating with Simon the Pharisee. And the reason this is um, important for us to understand is because this is what made it possible for this woman to have easy access to Jesus' feet. It was customary for the dinner host to have their guests' feet washed. It was a practical and also ceremonial act because they didn't have tennis shoes, they didn't have socks at the time. Everybody was walking in some semblance of sandals, and so their feet were dirty. And so practically, if you had somebody in your house, you wanted to wash their feet. But it was also a way of honoring your guests. Almost like, like it would be if you invited me into your home, you would undoubtedly ask me if I wanted something to drink. So not only would they provide water to wash their feet in a way of, of meeting the practical need, but also the ceremonial as well, but they would also add, drop, add droplets of uh, perfume into the water as well in order to uh, create a fragrance, similar to, you know, hand soap. But if you really wanted to honor somebody, what you would do then is not use water, but pure perfume. 
So not only is this woman approaching Jesus with boldness, but she's also seeking to bring honor to Jesus by washing his feet, and not just with water, but with pure perfume, the highest of honor. And so the second nugget of truth that we can take from this passage, not only are we to approach Jesus with boldness, but a genuine Christ follower gives Jesus the highest of honor. Now, most everybody in attendance, they saw this woman as sinful, as less than, yet she entered. She entered with boldness, seeking to give Jesus the highest of honor in full view of everyone, taking something that undoubtedly was precious to her, her perfume, and pouring on the feet of Jesus, whom she felt compelled to give the highest of honor. Now, this this woman certainly came in with only the task of wanting to anoint Jesus' feet with perfume. But something unexpected happens. She is so overcome with emotion in this moment that she begins to cry. And tears fall from her face and land on the feet of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because we've all cried. I mean, I cry during commercials. You know, I'm a crier. Not like Pastor Don, but I'm a crier. But there have been a few times that I can think of where I've just cried. I've just sobbed and tears have just fallen from my face and they've fallen on my clothes or maybe on the person that I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm huddled around as I'm crying. That's the kind of crying that would cause tears to fall from your eyes and land on the feet of Jesus. There is deep, deep emotion that's being experienced here. She boldly, this woman boldly approaches Jesus in front of others. And these people are looking at her with disdain. And she does this with the sole purpose of giving Jesus the highest of honors. And instead, her tears fall on his feet. This woman probably was expressing immense gratitude. Immense gratitude on top of whatever emotion she was also feeling that would cause such tears. And in response, she does something incredible. She undoes her hair, which was a huge no-no in this culture in this time. Jewish women did not did not undo their hair in public, let alone in front of a Pharisee. But she undoes her hair, and she begins to use her hair to wipe her tears off of Jesus' feet. But here's where things take a turn. This Pharisee, the host of this dinner, he witnessed all of this, and he proceeds to have a conversation with himself. This is what he says in verse 39. If this man were a prophet... He's speaking of Jesus. If this man here were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So he's disqualifying Jesus. He's saying, surely Jesus isn't who he says he is, because if he was, he wouldn't let this woman, this sinner, even touch him. So in one false swoop, 
The Pharisee is judging this woman, yes, but he's also judging Jesus. So this reveals then the third nugget we can get from this passage, is that a genuine Christ follower, yes, a genuine Christ follower seeks to give Jesus the highest of honor and approaches him with boldness, but a genuine Christ follower can go to Jesus no matter what. A genuine Christ follower can and should go to Jesus no matter what. And Jesus drives this point home in a moment that I'm sure was just shocking to Simon the Pharisee because he thought he was talking to himself. He was probably murmuring or maybe he was thinking it in his head. But then Jesus responds. It's like, it's like the power of my wife, you know, when, one of, when either me or the kids think something and she just answers our questions, you know, it's just, it blows our minds. Jesus does that here in this moment. How does Jesus respond? Jesus answers Simon the Pharisee. He says, I have something to tell you. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, what is a denarii? A denarii is basically, at that time, was a day's wage for an unskilled laborer. So that's a big deal. I know there's a big difference between 50 and 500, but imagine that 50 days of wages were either taken away from you or that was something that you owed. That would be significant no matter which way you looked at it. So Jesus asks, he asks Simon the Pharisee in verse 42, now which of them will love him more? The money lender who forgave both debts. And the Pharisee answers correctly by stating the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And then Jesus does something absolutely beautiful that I can imagine in my mind. In verse 44, Jesus turned towards the woman. So he's looking at the woman, and he's speaking to Simon, and he says, do you see this woman? You see, the Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee, certainly saw the woman because he pointed out how sinful she was. But he didn't really see the woman in that he didn't see the woman's worth. And so this brings us to the fourth nugget of truth that we get from this passage in that a genuine Christ follower sees others the way Jesus does. A genuine Christ follower sees others the way Jesus does. Now's the time I'm going to take, I'm going to take some educated liberties with this encounter, so bear with me. Whoever this woman was, and whatever it is that she had done that had classified her in the eyes of the people that were present at that dinner and probably many others in that community, whatever she did that gave her this status of being the sinful woman, She was grateful to Jesus. I believe that she was grateful to Jesus because she knew who Jesus was. 
and probably, most likely, received forgiveness from him already. I can't help but wonder that this woman was probably following Jesus. The time frame could have been a short time. Maybe it was a long time. But she was following Jesus, as many were doing at the time. And she probably witnessed Jesus going into this home, the home of Simon the Pharisee. And she probably noticed what the Pharisee didn't do. Even though the Pharisee had invited Jesus into his home, he didn't wash Jesus' feet, as was customary for any guest. He didn't pour perfume over Jesus' feet or over Jesus' head, as was typical of an honored guest. And he certainly didn't kiss Jesus, as was customary. This woman possibly saw that Jesus, the one whom she knew was the Son of God, the one who had forgiven her and most likely changed her life, was not honored. So what did she do? This woman who had been classified as as a sinful woman, as someone who was less than, who had no place in that room, walks boldly in and to honor her Savior in a way that he hadn't since his arrival. And she does this. She took it it upon herself to do this, not because it was her duty, but because she was compelled to do it. It was a compulsion that came from a deep love and gratefulness, and the forgiveness and love that she had received were so strong that she couldn't help but sob at the feet of her Savior. So this reveals our last nugget of truth from this passage, and that is a genuine Christ follower loves Jesus because of the love he's given us. This woman's actions, and I want to be clear because Jesus makes this clear. This woman's actions did not result in her forgiveness. Nor was it her outpouring of love that merited forgiveness. Instead, Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees, pointing out to Simon the Pharisee here, that the outpouring of the woman's love, the love that she was expressing, was proof of the forgiveness she's already received. The love the woman is showing to Jesus is in response to the love and grace that she has received. And so Jesus makes a connection here. The love you and I give to Jesus, it corresponds to the love that we believe we've received from him. Let me make that clear. If we believe that we've received or we've needed little love and forgiveness, then we will give Jesus little love and forgiveness. We will give others little love and forgiveness. But if we believe the truth, the truth being that we've received immense love, 
that we've received immense forgiveness, a love and forgiveness that we could not possibly provide ourselves. If we believe that, then we are ready and primed to give others and Christ great love ourselves. The love that we give to others, the love that we give to God, it should be the response, the natural outflowing of the tremendous love that we've received that we did not deserve. Because of the truth of the matter remains in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God through Jesus Christ. It's not based on what you do or what you don't do. It's based on what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the truth of this passage. The call for us to be bold in our approach to you. To give you the honor that you rightly deserve. To see others the way that that you see them. Father God, I pray that you would spur in our hearts and our minds here today. Lord, that we would recognize the tremendous debt that's been paid on our behalf through your Son, Jesus Christ, a debt that we could never imagine paying ourselves, but yet has been supplied so that we could have a right relationship with you. I thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that which we are saved And I pray, Lord, it would spur us to respond and live our lives as if we are saved, for we are. We love you, Lord. Speak to us. Remind us of your truth. We pray in your name. Amen.